Hi, I'm Ollie Neal, and welcome to Staying Connected, part of the Equip Project podcast. Staying Connected is a 12-week series focusing particularly on those having to self-isolate because of the coronavirus pandemic. We're aware that being stuck at home can be lonely, so we hope that each short episode will remind Christians of their unity as members of the body of Christ. In each episode, we'll have a Bible reading, a short thought, a prayer, and a final song. Let's now turn to God in prayer as we begin. Our God and Father, we come before you, the one enthroned over all, the one who rules in the heavens. And yet, Lord, we can know you. We can call you Father. We can have this privileged access to you, O God. We give thanks that you hear our prayer, that you love us and know us. Father, we ask that this Easter people might turn to you during this time of great need. I pray, Lord, that people might see the hope of Easter, the hope that Christ has triumphed over sin and death and hell, the hope that the great enemy has been destroyed. May people see that the end of the Christian story is filled with light, and may they be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ as a result. Lord, as Jim speaks to us from your word, may it sink deep into our hearts and shape our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now read from God's word together. The first of our readings today is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 2 to 10. And it says, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one go, and he goes, and to the other come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. We're now going to move into chapter 8 and start reading at verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And now we're going to jump on to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, 
for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Luke's Gospel is a beautifully structured work of literature. Luke has arranged his material carefully, allowing us to compare and contrast incidents that have been laced together. And chapter 7 and 8 of his Gospel form a literary unit. And as Ollie has just read to us, the very first story and the very last story from that block. In the first story, we encounter a Roman centurion. He is a worthy and respectable man. He's also compassionate. And when we meet him, he's desperately worried about the health of one of his servants. The centurion sends a delegation to the Lord Jesus who try to make a case on his behalf. But while he waits for Christ to arrive, the Roman's brain starts to click into gear. How does Jesus actually heal people? Well, he thought to himself, how do I get things done around here? I get things done because I have authority. I can order my soldiers to do things. So Jesus must be able to heal people because he has authority over sickness. At this point, I imagine the centurion clapping his hand to his head. What have I just done? I've just sent a delegation demanding that someone who has authority over life and sickness to do my bidding. So he hastily sends a second delegation, which makes a completely different case. This time the centurion doesn't try to prove his worthiness. He simply recognises Jesus' authority and then casts himself on the Lord's mercy. That's a great way to understand salvation. We don't come to God and try to get his help by making the case that we are tremendously worthy. No, the way to salvation begins when we recognise who Jesus is and then rely solely on his mercy. But the point I want to make about this story is a little curious. The point is that we learn that Jesus can heal at a distance. At no point in this story does Jesus meet the sick servant. He never touches him or speaks directly to him. Christ just speaks the word and the man immediately gets better. There's real comfort in that thought. On this Easter Sunday, we rejoice that our Lord is in heaven today. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. But he can still heal at a distance. He need only say the word and someone lying in a hospital bed can start to make a recovery. Maybe you have a loved one who's lying in some high dependency unit on a ventilator. Like the centurion, you can ask the Lord to heal the one you love. And he can do that without physically entering the room because Jesus can still heal at a distance. But that opening story leaves us with a bit of a puzzle when we turn to the last story in this section of Luke's Gospel. Here we find the story of Jairus and his little 12-year-old daughter who was about to die. Jairus is desperate for the Lord Jesus to get to his home as quickly as possible, to heal his daughter before it is too late. But for all his desperation, his plan doesn't work. The delegation comes from his home telling him that his daughter is dead. Now here's the problem. If Jesus can heal at a distance... Why didn't he simply heal Jairus' daughter from a distance? Why all this haste to try and get there in time, only to find out that it's too late? Well, the story of Jairus' daughter ends beautifully. Our Lord enters the room. The girl is dead, but theologically she had simply fallen asleep. And so the one who is the resurrection and the life takes her hand and says, Little one, wake up. She gets up and is restored to her parents. There's a beautiful balance in the way the opening story and the closing story are put together. We learn from the story of the Roman centurion that Christ can heal anyone. But we learn from the closing story that if he chooses not to heal from a distance, he will come for you and he will raise you up. Perhaps a loved one has died. 
Christ chose not to heal them. But one day he will come for them. As Paul puts it in words we considered last week from 1 Thessalonians, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. In the current crisis that has engulfed the world, it's important that we reflect on the deficiencies in Jairus' faith. Our Lord put him through the trauma of his daughter's death to develop his faith because it was deficient. You see, Jairus had enough faith to believe that Jesus had the power and authority to heal his daughter, if only he could get him to her before she died. But he didn't yet believe that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. Unlike us, he couldn't appreciate the significance of the resurrection. And so he conceived of Jesus as a mere healer. He thought that Jesus had to get his skates on before a much more powerful force called death arrived on the scene. By the time Jairus had gone through the experience of seeing his daughter raised from death, that deficiency in his faith had been fixed. He now knew that the Lord Jesus was no mere healer. He ruled over death. As the Lord Jesus told his disciples when he heard that his friend Lazarus had died, this will not end in death. He never said that Lazarus wouldn't die, but he did say that Lazarus' story wouldn't end with death. It's a wonderful thing when a believer grasps that truth. Your story may involve death, but it will not end in death. So perhaps I'm speaking to someone who is sick on this Easter Sunday. Well, Christ may heal you at a distance, or in his divine wisdom he may choose not to. But there is one unbreakable promise that he has made. One day the resurrection and the life will come for you, and he will raise you up. So you can know now that death, if it is part of your story, is not the end of your story. Death is not a full stop. It is a mere comma, a transition from one mode of reality to another. We remember that Christian faith is not faith in an outcome. It is faith in a person. And so we trust in God's wisdom as well as in his power and his love. You see, for the believer, death marks the end of our sojourn in this fallen and painful world. We are transported at death into the very presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy. In due time, God's grand plan of salvation will bring about a universe which is free from the frustrations and suffering of this fallen world. So we don't need to panic when we get sick. We can trust in the God who has shown us that he has triumphed over death. Of course, death brings a terrible dislocation. A dislocation in relationship when someone we love goes to heaven. We sorrow, not as those who have no hope, but we do sorrow. So the story of Jairus brings comfort to those whose loved ones have died in Christ. After the little girl is raised from death, we see her being restored to her parents. Relationships that had been cruelly severed by death were restored. Last Sunday evening, Queen Elizabeth II addressed the nation. Her short speech was dignified and brought comfort to us all. I was struck by her reference to that time during the Second World War, when children were sent out of the cities, evacuated to families living in the countryside. My own mother went through that dislocating experience. But the Queen made another allusion to that period of history at the end of her speech. We will meet again, she said. That was a quote from the great war song performed by Dame Vera Lynn. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. It was sung by lovers standing on train platforms, one partner in uniform going off to war, the other left weeping at a railway station. The song promised that most precious thing, 
the hope of reunion. And that is a very Christian idea. Those of us who mourn the passing of loved ones can look forward to the day when we will meet again. As the old poem says, death hides but it cannot divide. In a little while, the skies will part and our time in this old world will draw to a close. A new chapter will dawn. We will live in a world free from mourning and sickness. There will be no more tears. But for now, we keep walking the pilgrim trail, even when we feel the pain of separation. So we are so grateful to the Lord that he heals at a distance. But we are even more grateful that he has given us an unshakable, unbreakable promise that he will come for us, raise us up and bring us home. One day we shall stand around the throne of God in that green great scene described in Revelation chapter 5 and we shall be together with the Lord forever. The atheist has a very different view of the future. The best, the very best he can hope for is oblivion. And that is a bleak and desolate prospect. If you ask me to name the saddest piece of music ever written, I would say it was the last movement of Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, The Pathetique. It is heartrending, without hope. The entire symphony ends with a mere wisp of a sound played by the double basses. The final throbbing notes from those instruments represent the final beats of a human heart. The piece is about Tchaikovsky's view of death. After all the passion and turbulence of the earlier movements, there is nothing but unyielding sorrow and the fading wisp of sound. Under normal circumstances, the joyful noise coming from our churches at Easter would give an answer to Tchaikovsky. But this is a strange and difficult time for God's people. Our churches stand silent and dark. Instead of flocking into them for a celebration, some of you sit in hospital corridors. The only sound is the rustling of protective clothing and the faint beep of machines in an intensive care unit. Well, we stand with you. We pray that your loved ones will be healed. But there is a deeper truth on which we can stand. Christ is indeed raised from the dead. So Tchaikovsky was wrong. However this crisis unfolds, the story of our life doesn't end with the fading sound of a sombre note. It ends like this. <laughs>